Hi, I'm Michael. I'm Diana. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you're going to hear topics discussed. Michael, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Yes, both to those. Uh, I'm Michael Raparas. I host a podcast called Video Game Apocalypse that goes up every Friday at lasertimepodcast.com. And uh, we talk, we do like top fives. We do discussion of new releases and news. It's a fun two and a half hours if you're ready to make that commitment. <laughs> Few people are. How did you? How did you pick Friday? Um, it's, it's, has to do with editing schedules and when we can record, we try to record on Wednesdays because Tuesday used to be the game when new games come out. So it's like, all right, we've had at least yeah. a few hours with some of these. We can talk about them. Um, and yeah, it's just, we record Wednesday nights. We edit Thursday nights. It goes up Friday morning, very, very early Friday morning. <laughs> yeah. I, um, Topic Lords goes up Monday, basically because I figured it would be nice for people who are going to work to have something to listen to on their commute. Ah. That was the whole that was the whole thought. And I for years I had it uh release at 8 a.m. because I was like, no one could possibly wake up before 8 a.m. <laughs> it's no. We're and, just not programmed to. No one's alive then. After I started getting up at seven to take my kid to school. I realized I could I could change that. I could set it to any time I want. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, and Diana, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything, anything to plug? Sure. I'm Diana Goodman, and I'm one of the hosts of 302010, which is a weekly podcast where we look at the films, music, TV of that particular week 30 years ago, 20 years ago, and 10 years ago. So that's 1993, 2003, and 2013 right now. Oh, that sounds interesting. It, It's weird how things line up. That's the thing. It's like, <laughs> oh, why do we have a baseball movie every single second? Oh, is it opening day? It's opening day, everyone. <laughs> and and what day does that podcast release? It's supposed to be used on Fridays. <laughs> Sometimes things get in the way. Yeah. But, you know, you have a week to listen to it to have it stay timely. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, and I should add, video game. I am not just slurring my way through the word video game. That is literally spelled V-I-D-J-A game. Yeah. Do you regret that? No, never. It's okay. it's part of my identity now. Has been for 10 years. <laughs> and yeah. so is the explanation. Yeah. If you want to find it, you got to be looking for it. Mm-hmm. 10 years. That's like that's like 500 episodes. We're about 531 episodes, actually, as of this recording. Impressive. Thank you. You poor dear. <laughs> Are we ready to start on some topics? Absolutely. Yeah. Michael, your topic is banishment is still legal as punishment in Georgia, the state. Yes. So this was something Diana's brother uncovered, actually, that uh, Georgia is one of, I, I guess there, there might be a couple of others, but Georgia is a state where banishment is still a legal punishment. It's been carried out as recently as 2011. He, he was convicted of, I think, just shooting a gun into a house that was unoccupied at the time. But uh, what they can do is they can they can banish you from a county. They can't banish you from the state because there, you know, there's still the Constitution in place that it forbids banishment on a national level. Uh, but they can banish you from one county, which uh, is a. A decent, what's the word, deterrent for yeah. in cases of domestic violence, it's easier than a restraining order. You just say you can't enter the county anymore, much less get close to this person. And 
what they tend to do in extreme cases when they would like to banish someone from the state is Georgia has 159 counties. Way too many for a state that size. Yeah. <laughs> they can banish you from 158 of them. And the 159th one is usually Eccles County, which is this tiny unincorporated county in like the 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 ass end of the south of the state. And no, but people would rather leave the state than move there. It's like 3,000 people. It's not a bad area, but like most people just don't want to live there. So they'll they'll pack up and leave before they'll move to Eccles County. Yeah. It's swampy. It, it, would be an, it would be incredible if like all the banished people lived there and were all annoyed plotting revenge. <laughs> yeah. I was amazed like, is, is this like a prison colony? Is the crime like through the roof? Like, no, it's it's about average. Nope. It's just a super rural county. I love reading up on what's the legal logic of this. And it's that in the Georgia state constitution, it says that you cannot be whipped for a crime or banished from the state. <laughs> but the from the state part implies, well, you can be banished inside the state, right? And the courts have upheld that until pretty recently. They can still just decide, no, you don't get to go to these four counties because you're annoying. You have to stay out of Atlanta. Yeah, exactly. And I, I could see opportunities to really misuse that because it seems like they will go after really annoying homeless people with that mm. just like you're just such a pain you have to leave that seems not great yeah i mean i guess the next step is just banishing people just because you don't like them yeah yeah like they haven't done anything wrong they just don't want them around i, I would imagine <laughs> there has to be some legal grounding for it you can't just like have a judge drag someone into a courtroom without cause and say you're banished this is how like culturally americans can't handle the idea of medicating something that's not a disease hmm, hmm. Like medication that helps you focus if you have ADHD. Mm -hmm. okay. Just medication that just helps you focus wouldn't be acceptable. That would be like that would be drugs. Yeah, exactly. But if you have a if you have a condition, then you're treating the condition. Hmm. Then that's okay. But what that means is that like in order to, for example, if you if you're autistic and you want to alleviate like some of your neurodiverse symptoms and be like, I want to be more neurotypical in this respect for a few hours. And I, I, can, I could take these drugs to do it. The only way the, the medical establishment would be able to do that is if they decided autism is a disease that need, needs to be cured. Uh-huh. Hmm. Uh, and it would be interesting and I think good if we were able to just say, no, like, I just want to take these drugs to be, for my mind to work differently for a little while. Let you regulate your brain chemistry a little more. Right. And not, not necessarily establishing that one state is better than the other or not. You see, now- when I heard banishment is still a punishment, I thought, well, that's historically, that's been a punishment for thousands of years. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that, it that sounds makes medieval. Sense. It sounds very medieval. Like, and the then king I thought, banishes you from his lands. Yeah. I thought, like, yeah, why don't we do that anymore? And then I remembered listening to a podcast about the Russian Revolution. And it's like, oh, that's how you get a Russian Revolution when you take all, all the communists are banished from the land. Okay. So they all meet up outside the land. Oh. And then they plot. <laughs> right. Mm, yeah, maybe you don't want that. Yeah. But I think generally like what I was reading was like, it's generally considered preferable to prison by all parties. Like it's cheaper than prison because you just have to send them out and like, you know, put up a picture at the police station. Like this guy's not allowed back in. And then the, the banished party gets to keep their freedom. They just can't go back to wherever it was they were living. That does seem sensible, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think in the case of the guy who was most recently banished in 2011, 
he said that, like, you can't banish me from this county. That's where my mother lives. So they decided, okay, every county but that one, he's banished. So he can live with his mom, but otherwise he's got to leave the state. Well, that was kind. Yeah, I yeah. guess. That that one part of it, I mean. Yeah. I think I think that, that guy had some, some mental issues that maybe didn't need a criminal remedy necessarily. But, right. Yeah. yeah. But probably he shouldn't have had a gun that he was firing into people's houses. Mm-hmm. Banished from from firearm ownership. Mm-hmm. Oh, can't do that in Georgia. Come on, man. <laughs> no, sure that guy is seeing demons, but he needs to be able to defend himself in case those yeah. demons come to take his guns. Demons might be real. You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Anyway, I think we should bring banishment back. Well, I'm against it. Ah. Just <laughs> we can all just move to Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. There's the solution. Mm-hmm. Are we ready for another topic? Sure. Okay. Uh, Diana, your topic is, from an evolutionary standpoint, why is it so hard to admit you're wrong? I have been thinking about this so much lately, and I, I, in weird way, I feel like it's in reference to, like, QAnon. I think mm-hmm. that's what got me started on this, because I understand from, like, an ego point of view why when you fuck up, you don't want to admit that you fucked up. Sorry, I forgot to ask if we can swear. Yeah, go for it. Okay. Yeah, it, it you know... Helps your self-esteem and your sense of pride is wounded if you screw up, especially if other people see you screw up. And mentally, you want to, you know, save face, cover it up and just be like, no, I wasn't wrong. I was technically right. Or that didn't happen. Or I didn't say that. Or look over there. But from an evolutionary standpoint, we should be really, really good at admitting we're wrong because otherwise we die. Like, mm-hmm. it wasn't the berries that were poisoned. It was, uh, yeah. look over there. We need to be able to process and adapt to new information. Right. Uh, I have a theory on okay. why this is. why Not not evolutionarily why this is a thing, but why it's so difficult. I think it comes from growing up in a public school system where if you get an answer wrong, the entire class laughs at you. So mm. it becomes internalized as part of your internal, it's part of your pride and identity that you you know, have to be right. And I think kids who got things wrong in front of the class more often are more sensitive to that and have a greater need to be right as adults. Hmm. Yeah, I do think that like everybody in America who has PTSD actually has it twice because they also went to middle school. Yes. <laughs> Ugh. It's like prison that you leave at the end of the day. My God. <laughs> uh, so humans are extremely social animals and they're extremely obsessed with status mm. Mm. and being wrong apparently isn't low status but admitting you're wrong or being shown or demonstrated to be wrong is that's my theory yeah that is true i feel like being able to recognize that you were wrong and just admit it not even have to yeah. make amends or fix it but just be like oh i'm sorry i got that wrong or yeah, how about no, just I, how about I just the phrase a... i was mistaken yeah. That's that's being wrong, but because you had bad information. I was mistaken yeah, yeah. that Jesus was going to come back on December 4th, 1986. There's a concept called uh, counter-signaling. Are you familiar with this? No. Mm, no, I don't think so. So it's, signaling is the uh, the process of when you do things to indicate that you're part of a certain group, counter-signaling is when you are so established as being part of the group that you flaunt your status within the group by deliberately not doing the things that the group does do. Hmm. Okay. So rebelling. So for example, I, I have a tremendous respect for the kind of person who could admit that they're wrong. It's very difficult to do. It's very difficult to like, especially like if they don't have the whole like, 
automatic deflection reflex that happens with, with almost everybody, you know, that sort of mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. If they're just able to just like immediately be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But I, I think people who are established as high status are in a much better position to do that hmm. because yeah. they can then say, I'm so high status. I don't even need to pretend to be right. Yeah. People, people respect me anyway. And then they respect you more. Yeah. That definitely makes sense. I, I definitely respect people when can, they can just be like, oh, okay. And then they, they adapt. But I wonder whether if you're, you can do that, if you're low status, I wonder whether whether it would work for people to like to perceive you, um, or or people would just be like, yeah, of course you, of course you're wrong. You're down there. Yeah, exactly. Mm, this is interesting. So just tie into a thing I noticed way a million years ago, back in high school, which is nerds can't admit when they're wrong. Yeah. Even if it is something that is clear as day, factual thing. I mean, not like math or science or a test or something, but. Some something that is like that's just literally wrong. Like Steven Spielberg did not direct Star Wars. That's wrong. <laughs> they will come up with some sort of yeah, some some very work around complicated rationales to make them technically right. And it's like you are not technically. There's no technical here. That is a yes or no answer. You got it wrong. And all you have to say is like, I'm sorry, I was just talking too fast. I didn't think that through, or I was mistaken. It's that, yeah. That's it. Mm -hmm. It's not that hard. But oh, my God, two days later, they come back with a book and they're like, no, but you see, because they went to film school together. And I'm like, they didn't go to film school together. Duh! And then <laughs> that's, that's why the, the correct way to handle that is to say, yeah, that's what I said. George Lucas. I'm like, no, you didn't. Like, what, what did I say? Spielberg. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant to say Lucas. Yeah, that was it. That's what you had to say. I meant to say uh -huh. the correct answer. Yeah. Oh, Unless you God. genuinely believe it and can construct an argument like, no, Spielberg was at Lucas's shoulder the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. People would rather do that than just go like, yeah, no, I would just, my mind was in a couple different places and I, I misspoke. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to, to, to address the idea of like, why, why do we do this when like, it is in many cases actually really important to our survival to be right. Mm. And to the survival of the people around us to be right. Yeah. I, I, I think this might be like how, like the peacock's tail, where like having such an enormous gaudy tail can't possibly be good for your survival, <laughs> except that it's super hot for yeah. other people. <laughs> Status is our weakness. It makes us easier prey for predators, but uh, elevates yeah. our position within the group. I think, I think we're onto something. But it's here. still... It doesn't work socially if you can't admit you're wrong and you keep pushing at that. You're just you're pushing away the people yeah, but who all know how wrong you are. Eventually, you gaslight the people who say you're wrong into <laughs> thinking like, well, he's so persistent about this. Maybe I'm wrong. And then the second they start to have that doubt, that's when you win. They'll eventually shut up and just let you be wrong. Aha. Uh -huh. uh -huh. I see. <laughs> Are we uh, ready for another topic? Sure. Okay, sure. Uh, my topic is Minesweeper speedrunning. Mm. The topic actually probably should have been the dream board specifically. So Minesweeper speedrunning has been happening since the since the late 20th century because there's a timer. Like it's one of those games that's like, obviously oh, yeah. you're competing to have the best time at this, at this game. Um, and... Communities have been doing this on like sharing their sharing their best times and screenshots on the web in in, in forums since then. The dream board is uh, a board that is 
Uh, I need I need I need to provide more context for this. So this is there's going to be a little bit of technical information here, but I'll try to keep it simple. Minesweeper uses a 16-bit random number generator, which means there are uh, six, 65,535 different possible boards. Is that all? That's <laughs> <laughs> when you are playing uh, quickly enough that you're you're burning through a board every like ten seconds, either winning or losing. You 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 they come up again and again. Mm, mm. I see pattern recognition. And so the dream board is a board that is especially is is like just the it's configured in an especially easy way. And one person got a, a record of 12 seconds on it. And then another person got a tied their 12 second record. And later someone realized that like, wait, these two board, these two games look the same. These are the same board. And eventually like everybody's best time was on this board. And like the, the act of speed running Minesweeper, it becomes um, memorizing where to click to solve this one board and then hitting new game and clicking in those places until you get that one board layout. Huh. <laughs> so does the does the speed running timer reset with each new board, or you're just like, no, I need to force this new board to appear, and that's how you get the best time. It res- resets each time, and then you. Um, okay. Yeah. So it so it becomes incredibly boring, uh, <laughs> and which is why, like now, I I actually don't know if I don't know if this is true for sure, but there are Minesweeper clones that use. Um, 32-bit PRNGs instead and don't have this problem. And I sure hope peop- that's where the community moved to. But it's it's just interesting to me how, like, it, this happens all over and over in speedrunning, where, like, speedrunning is basically, like, I invented a new game on top of this other game. That game wasn't designed to be speedrun. Speed and so it there's a good chance that it's not going to be a fun game to speed run. Like there's there, there may well be something in there that makes speed running it miserable, but, and yet people keep doing it. Hmm. Hmm. It's just a compulsion at some point. <laughs> like, I don't know if you've ever watched uh, people like do Mario 64 runs hmm. on Twitch. Hmm. If you, if you tune into somebody doing a Mario 64 speed run, chances are they're going to be like playing for two minutes and then, Oh, one trick didn't work. I'm just going to reset the whole thing. And that's the vast majority of the time they spend is the, those replaying those first two minutes. Right. That's like, I don't know what kind of mind you have to have to think that's fun. I don't, I, yeah, I can't imagine. Like you just, I guess the fun becomes the, you know, ha- having done it. Like it's, it's like throwing yourself against a particularly challenging boss over yeah. and over again, except you know this game so well that you've gotten to the point where no, the boss is getting as through this game as quickly as possible. And it's like, you know, oh, if like dying on the first level of a game, you ever gotten to a point where a game where it's like, if I die on the first level, I'm just going to start over because it's not worth like using up my continues or one of my life stocks or whatever. Sure. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, it's like, yeah, I, I made a mistake. Now I got to start over. And because I, I know this. No, you didn't make a mistake. The game made a mistake. You're right. You're right. You're I can't wrong. admit I'm wrong. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you need to uh, just sort of like this, this is in my muscle memory now, or it needs to be. So I'm just going to redo this over and over again until I can execute it without thinking. For some people, like just that pursuit of perfection is the fun. And that that absolutely mystifies me because it's like this this is the sort of gameplay that like after a while I I would have to admit like I'm extremely bored it might be time to play a different game. 
need to ask my parents to buy me more than one game for my birthday. <laughs> yeah, that's that's interesting. I hadn't I hadn't considered that aspect of it. Of like, I mean, I I knew that speedrunners tended to be people who were very young and had lots of free time. Mm-hmm. But another factor is probably yeah, they can't afford lots of games because they don't have money. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I'm I'm sure we'll get speedrunners coming in and saying like, ah, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. And it's true. I don't. I can admit when I'm wrong. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, this is all pure speculation, being not a speedrunner myself. But yeah, especially with Minecraft, like that is, I mean, it's, it, Minecraft is a very fun game, but it's also like, it's right up there with Solitaire. Like this is not a very flashy game. I've been waiting for this to happen. One of us said Minecraft instead of Minesweeper. Ah! Dang it! Ah! It was... Sweeper, sweeper. Yes. It was inevitable. Yeah. Oh, man. Ah, the shame. No. I've lost my status in the community. <laughs> I'm sorry. I must go off with a better mate now mm-hmm. who has a yeah. flashier yeah. tail. It's it's, and, it's for the best. And better I'll at... walk into the desert. Better at Minesweeper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Doesn't call it Minecraft. <laughs> I Yeah, I think Minesweeper, I, I gotta, now I have to be really careful because it I'm primed just to say Minecraft. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, I like it a head. lot better than Solitaire. I think it's a pretty solid game design. And actually, like, now I'm curious yeah. about the, the or, like, was it actually invented by somebody at Microsoft? Because that's impressive. That's like a, that's like a, a, a creation on the level of, of just inventing Tetris. Yeah, actually. And, and it went un, unappreciated because it was just packed in free. And so, like, you know, nobody's seeking this out. It's just like, uh, I'm, I'm, Gonna take a break from work for five minutes. Play Minesweeper. There we go. Yeah. Boss didn't see. Yeah. We're good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I feel like I read a, a feature article on the creation of it a while ago, and I didn't retain any of that. But I'm sure the story is out there. Yeah. You make <laughs> yeah. a movie about it. Mm-hmm. Making a movie yeah. about every tech thing. Yeah, Minesweeper, and like, no, this isn't about an actual like World War II Minesweeper. <laughs> it's about the game Minesweeper. <laughs> Minesweeper, the game, the movie. <laughs> Yeah, they, instead they made a m- movie about Battleship. Mm. Yeah. It's not even about the creation of Battleship. Just <laughs> Harrison Ford on a boat. Who want, fighting aliens. Who wants to see that? <sighs> it wasn't even Harrison Ford. Wasn't it? No. Am I wrong again? Who was yeah. it? Uh, Liam Neeson's in it for a bit. Liam Neeson. And okay. Rihanna. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're okay. I'm just whiffing them one right after the other. That's here. all right. Yeah. I could... I could was make he fighting up aliens, things. though? Yes, they are fighting aliens. Okay, all right. Um, that send bombs shaped like pegs at us, obviously. <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Okay. Honestly, I could right. make up a bunch of stuff that happened in the movie Battleship, and it would be like two truths and a lie. You couldn't tell. I'd believe yeah, it. Yeah, I, I would believe it. I would believe the, anything. At the end, them and some World War II veterans get the, w, the USS Missouri out of dry dock at Pearl Harbor. It's all gassed up and ready to go. And you can man it with like four guys. Two of whom are, you know, 90. Of course. Yeah. I believe that. That's actually true. (laughs) (laughs) That movie costs more money than any of us will ever see in our lives. Good Lord. (laughs) There was a tie-in video game that was not Battleship. What? Yeah. It was was like a shooter where you're shooting aliens. Boo. Oh, was that back when they were still making movie video games? Yes. Yeah, I, I want to say that was what roughly like ten years ago, yeah, something about like that. that. Yeah, yeah, like 2011, 2012. Mm-hmm. Sounds about right. Yeah, still in the, uh, wow. the magazine press back then. So mm-hmm. yeah, that also doesn't exist. There was a a turn based strategy game released simultaneously called Battleship for the Wii and DS. Oh wow! 
So it, it actually had like a board game style tie-in or was this like a completely separate type of strategy? Oh, it's a, it's an Advanced Wars copy uh, clone, mm. rather. Mm, I mean, there's not enough of those in the world. <laughs> Could be down for an Advanced Wars clone. Sure, why not? Six out of ten. Mm. Mm. Oh, well. That's funny. Are we ready for another topic? Sure. Yep. Uh, for this topic, we're going to be reading the poem Sometime During Eternity by Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Do you know if I pronounced that name right? Ferlinghetti? I, I believe so. I think you got so. it, yeah. Yeah, he was... Uh, I don't I don't know a lot about the Beats, the Beat Poets. I know that Ferlinghetti was one of them. You know, he founded City Lights Bookstore in San Francisco. Uh, but the poem uh, is uh, Sometime During Eternity. Some guys show up, and one of them, who shows up real late, is a kind of carpenter from some square-type place like Galilee. And he starts wailing and claiming he's hip to who made heaven and earth, and that the cat who really laid it on us is his dad. And moreover, he adds, it's all writ down on some scroll-type parchments, which some henchmen leave lying around the Dead Sea somewheres a long time ago, and which you won't even find for a couple thousand years or so, or at least for 1947 of them. To be exact, and even then, nobody really believes them. Or me, for that matter. You're hot, they tell him. And they cool him. They stretch him on the tree to cool. And everybody after that is always making models of this tree with him hung up. And always crooning his name and calling him to come down and sit in on their combo as if he is the king cat who's got a blow, or they can't quite make it, only he don't come down from his tree. Him just hang there, on his tree, looking real petered out and real cool. And also, according to a roundup of late world news from the usual unreliable sources, real dead. <laughs> this, is, this is very entertaining. Yeah. I'm surprised they didn't get into the re resurrection. No, no, I think I think it's just supposed to be sort of a cynical view of uh, of Jesus. Mm-hmm. That, you know, yeah, asking him to come down and join their combo, but he just sits there looking dead. Yep, because we killed him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stretched him out on his tree to cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting way of looking at it. If you look at, you know, that Jesus died for all of us, but also we killed him. So why do we keep asking him for things? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd think you'd think he'd be, he'd be a little better I about the whole thing. I but. didn't kill anybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely mean the universal we, not the we. Also, right. I'm Jewish, yeah. and I'm not taking credit for that. <laughs> or blame, whichever. You leave me out of it. Uh -huh. We had yeah. nothing to do with it. I don't know. I think that, like, Richard Pryor had a bit that was more about that, like, you know, God coming to Earth and finding out, like, you killed my son? <laughs> like, and... But yeah, th this is just more like the, um, yeah, just step back, look at it objectively, look at the story and, you know, what does this tell us? I don't know. It's just iconography in the end. Hmm. Yeah, I'm pissing someone off mightily right about now. Yeah. <laughs> Probably have, a bunch of someone. I always wonder about the cross as the, the symbol of the religion. Hmm. It is weird. Like, you know, why, why do you have the torture device that he died on? Like, to remind you of his suffering and his sacrifice, I know, okay. but yeah. anyway. It is morbid. It is it, extremely. Yeah, I'm intrigued by the use of slang in this poem. Like it, it, it's definitely of its time and not trying to be anything else. Mm -hmm. Like it's not trying to be. It's not leaning at all into like no. Let's let's make this a little bit more like 
prose you would read in a newspaper just to make it legible to people who might not know the slang. Mm-hmm. I think it's really just all in on whatever yeah. beat beatnik jargon they have. Mm-hmm. But yeah. then there's also like, I, I don't think writ down is beat. I think that's trying to harken, harken back to like, you know, King James Bible type mm. type vocabulary. Yeah, more, more archaic language. What always strikes me about it is at the end that him just hang there. Like why, why yeah. him? Like why, why that construction? And uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's something striking about it. I don't have an answer. And then there's... <laughs> terms that i'm like sitting on their combo is that like a jazz combo is yeah. that the idea <laughs> yeah i think so it's just okay reframing it in in uh, beat ideas right yeah yeah come down and rap with them whatever <laughs> jesus <laughs> played about, a mean harmonica mm. you know and what about you're hot and then they cool him I, I think that's that's you know just saying like yeah you're the son of god you're cool you're, you're awesome but then uh yeah some other people say like no nah, he's he's too hot we need to we need to cool him down by stretching him out on this tree. Mm. Exactly, he's, he's too revolutionary. He mm-hmm. wants to change too much. Yeah. So we got to cool him down. Just condense that into the imagery of hot and cool. Mm-hmm. Although the idea of something being cool mm. as being good comes from the beats. That's true. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. We're trying to dissect. Um, however, I don't know when this was written. I'm guessing in the 50s sometime, but. Uh, I, I had assumed it was 1947. Oh, that could be. I think, isn't that when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found? That's it, yeah. Yeah, so. Oh, okay, then that's, yeah, okay. In that case, scroll to the bottom of the page, copyright 1958. Yeah. So we probably could have gotten Ferlinghetti on to, to tell us about it, except that he died, uh, I think, two years ago at the ripe old age of 102. Oh, so. no. That, that, yeah. If I had yeah, only done this soon. poem in early episodes of Topic Lords. <laughs> I could have, I yeah. could have invited him on. Could have invited the uh, centenarian uh, legend of the beat generation, and asked him about Minesweeper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe he had an opinion. Maybe. I w- honestly, I would, I would give it a a, a decent chance, like a twenty percent chance that any given person has an opinion about Minesweeper. Yeah, mm-hmm. most people have probably played it. I've I played that once. It was okay. Yeah, that counts. At one point, I um, we were driving past a swimming pool on a hot day, and I was looking at this thing as like this is like this is a, a pool. It's there to serve the um, the apartment complex it's attached to, but no one was in there. And I was just like, it seems like a waste. And then I was thinking like, just do a back of the envelope calculation of, of if I went and knocked on every door in the apartment complex, what what are the chances that one of the people who answers would have played frog fractions <laughs> and would then let me use the pool. <laughs> I'm pretty good at least one of them has. Right. Like, That's oh, what I was yeah, thinking. I remember when... that, that. Because, you know, it was initially uh, free to play uh, like a Flash game, right? It was. It, it, it was played by like two million people. Surprised um, it's not more, honestly. And probably all of those were in the English-speaking world. So you can limit mm. it to those people, to that segment of the population i don't remember what the the actual number that i came up with was but it was like 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 an eight percent chance or something that one of the people in that apartment complex would remember my game fondly it's worth a shot yeah but i didn't then go test the hypothesis mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> if you knock on the wrong door and you find a mine oh no <laughs> yeah or if i knock on the wrong door and find someone who didn't get 
past the pond. Mm-hmm. And we're just furious at you. Why'd you make it so hard? <laughs> My friends wouldn't tell me what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> I don't I don't understand. I click and his tongue goes out and then the bugs eat the fruit. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> <laughs> They're going to fight you right then. It's all oh, I've been waiting for this day. <laughs> I don't know what a durian is, but it makes me angry. Oh, there's durian fruit in it? Mm -hmm. I feel like that's part of some sort of strategy. It is. They use the stinky fruit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Takes the bugs longer to eat. Uh, even the bugs don't want it. <laughs> but that's. it turns out that's not actually, that's not factually accurate. Oh. Bugs love durians. I bet. Mm. They're stinky. Yeah. Uh, flies especially probably love it. But the idea that like flies have to hold their nose, I'll eat this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's no moist shit, but you know, I'll eat it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Are we ready for another topic? Sure. Sure. It is. Donnie, our topic is marsupials. Have they got it figured out? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Good talk. <laughs> It's another one of those things where it's like your brain makes the connections and then like you you end up somewhere very strange and you can't stop thinking about it. And this actually came from uh, Roe versus Wade being overturned. And somehow late at night or in the shower or something, it just hits me like if humans were marsupials, we'd have this figured out. And then I realized, no, marsupials just have it figured out. I think they've nailed reproduction because they have basically no maternal mortality because oh. they give birth to teeny tiny like peanut sized babies. Yeah. And then they put them in the pouch and that's where they do all the growing. Yeah, that's smart. That's yeah. smart. Yeah. Our, our huge head causes lots of problems. Exactly. Mm -hmm. We weren't supposed to evolve a brain that big. Yeah, our heads are too dang big. We gestate for a really long time. And then when we come out, we're useless for a couple of years. It could be longer. Like, imagine if we, we had, like, uh, elephant length hmm. uh, gestation period. And then, like, they came out, like, two-and-a-half-year-olds already walking and talking. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> they have absorbed the knowledge from the mother. Yeah. 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 Why don't we have that as a genetic trait? That seems like it would make more sense. Mm. Get on it, mom. Genetic knowledge. Yeah. Well, I mean, in some ways, it, there is a benefit to having a baby that can walk the second you've given birth to it. Because, I mean, think about how helpless babies are for so long. They can't walk. They can't yeah. feed themselves. Yeah. They just sort of stare. Then they put their hands in their mouth and they put their foot in their mouth and they rediscover their hand and they can't believe it. Yeah. Babies are pretty useless for a really long time. Yeah, it's quite a quite a while. Yeah. The benefit is eventually they they develop and they you can use a giant brain. Yeah. And most animals it's like they hit the ground running. They don't they don't got to learn. Yeah. They all they have to learn is follow mom. Yeah, my son Winston is four and a half, and it's notable when he's able to significantly help out with something. Like mm -hmm. last year, we a, a relative was moving into a new place and they were like tearing up all their flooring, and he could assist at that and it was like it was real help <laughs> and it was like oh shit <laughs> for a certain kind of labor and then of course this is the stereotype of this is why like people in rural areas farmers have so many kids is that they help on the farm from a pretty young age mm -hmm. like a like a four-year-old can be helpful in that context it just is not helpful like if you're trying to do a white collar job <laughs> no <laughs> Uh, boy you... bring me some co some copy paper like <laughs> don't even need that anymore nope mm -mm. 
Here, here, email out some PDFs. Okay. <laughs> Egg fudge. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, no, I think marsupials have it figured out. Mm-hmm. And I'm resentful now. I'm going to write a very strongly worded letter to God and be like, why aren't we marsupials? Because we placental well, mammals split from marsupials probably like something like 100 million years ago. So like around dinosaur times. And I it reading up on them and how much they rule, I didn't realize they originate in South South America when that was connected to Australia. And so North America, South America and Australia are the only places that have marsupials. Obviously, Australia is what we think of because they have the most of them. Most of their land mammals are marsupials. <laughs> but there's a whole bunch of different kind of very cute tiny possums all over South America, including one that looks kind of like a weasel and uh, is a semi-aquatic and it can seal its pouch to make it airtight. That sounds great. Yeah. I want to put my keys in there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not just like a benefit for females. A lot of marsupial males have pouches and they basically put their dicks in there to protect them. Hmm. You know, we'd develop all kinds of weird fetishes around the pouches if we had them. Hmm. So that seems like a drawback. Hmm. Yeah. I'm still trying to figure out what to put, what to put my dick in. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's just, <laughs> I could get a pouch. Yeah. Hmm. You just sort mm-hmm. of tuck it up in, in your pouch and yep. a, little, yeah. a little comfier. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, it's weird that... <laughs> Like my brain just kept, as I was thinking about, yeah, marsupials have it figured out. And I thought, like, okay, if humans were marsupials, we could have, like, transplants. Like, abortion would no longer exist because oh yeah, you, you could just go somewhere and if someone wants to have a baby. If someone can't have their own tiny peanut-sized baby for some reason, but they have a working pouch then you've just cured their infertility problem. Yeah. Well, one of the major reasons for abortion wouldn't even be a thing. Like, the, there would not be a significant danger to the mother during the process. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, the the, the little peanut-sized guy is, like, so massively underdeveloped, I guess. The argument then would be, like, is not putting that in a pouch a crime? Because normally they're they're born and they get they climb up into the pouch, which is very hard right. for them. Yeah, they do it themselves. They do it themselves. But also a lot of marsupials, they give birth to way more babies than they have room in their pouch. And it's survival of the fittest. Oh. So, so they fight for pouch space. Some, some K-type shit. It's, it's whoever's fastest into the pouch and finding the nipple. Hmm. So, yeah, there's only six nipples, but you gave birth to 10 tiny peanuts. Hmm. That doesn't... Yeah, I don't know. I guess, yeah, ensures one of them will survive at least. Yeah, but... that, that's the idea. Man, yeah, it's heartless. <laughs> Nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm liking liking this marsupial idea less now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I like I like there not being preeclampsia or mm. oh, blood yeah. clots uh-huh. yep. <laughs> because you don't fair, have fair. you're not sharing a freaking circulatory system. They're just latched onto a thing with their mouth. Mm. Yeah. So I, I I was thinking you were gonna go into like other aspects of. Like how the koalas are just munching on opiates their whole lives. I mean, that's, yeah, they've got it pretty well figured out, yeah. I think. <laughs> There's no mm-hmm. argument there. Yeah, that's true. Uh, kangaroos, once they get up to like a cruising speed, they actually use less energy to go faster. And they can go freaking fast. The big red kangaroos, oh, I would not mm-hmm. screw with them. They're like six feet tall. Is mm-hmm. this like how it takes work to come to come down out of orbit? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> At a certain point, falling becomes hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, I think 
I think marsupials just have it figured out in general. Yeah. We should seed the planet to them. I'm okay with that. Yeah, drop a treaty. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about marsupial penises, uh, no. which I've learned about now. Well, that that's the other thing. Like, yeah, keep keep your penis out of the the kid pouch. Uh, right. Yeah, that's that's that spawn its whole a whole other set of problems. Hmm. Hmm. Are you ready for another topic? Please. <laughs> uh, Michael, your topic is Venture Brothers rewatch things gleaned from a binge rewatch twenty years after it debuted ahead of the finale. Rewatching Venture Brothers, we just uh, wrapped. Season seven, because the movie is coming out. Are you are you a fan of the show at all? Have you watched it? I have not. Oh, man. My wife loves it, though. Oh, man. Yeah, you yeah. should. Uh, I I recommend it to everybody just because it's the the I think the popular line among fans is, is it's a show about failure at the at, at its core. What if Johnny Quest grew up to become a fail son who was constantly trying to live up to the example set by his father and it's impossible because his father is a Superman, sort of a fusion of uh, Doc Savage and Benton Quest and all these other like hyper-masculine men of science from pulp novels and cartoons and stuff. And it, it begins as this very straightforward parody, like, you know, he's chased around by this supervillain, the monarch. But gradually, like, and, and you notice this more watching all the episodes back to back to back, the show has a very intricate mythology mm. and like things that are introduced almost as throwaways in like the first and second seasons, then like pay off big in like the last season. And you suddenly realize that there's this web of events that you didn't realize was there before. And you start to wonder, did they plan this from the beginning or are they just really good at seat of your pants storytelling? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's, it is amazing to realize because we hit it on 30 2010 because we we're looking at stuff that debuted 20 years ago and they the pilot debuted on adult swim as kind of like a test program of like we'll commission a whole bunch of pilots and we'll see what we feel like picking up and they picked it up like two or three years later <laughs> and, and then in between each season is seriously like three or four years it might be the slowest rollout of a show in yeah. the history of television <laughs> seven seven seasons in 20 years yeah but wow. it is, it really gets intricate. And it's just, it's strange also for a cartoon that it's like, they're teenagers, but they age, you know, they age. All these characters really grow and change over time and come to confront like all of their massive <laughs> problems. They're like existential level problems of like, am I really me if I'm a clone? Hmm. And I'm not even like one clone. I'm like version 13 or 14. There've been a lot of clones yeah. of me. Yeah. And this is a narrative that begins with like a Hardy Boys like, gee willikers, I can't <laughs> wait to solve this mystery. Well, that makes sense though. Like if you're talking about creators who they're 20 years older now, mm -hmm. it makes sense that they would be interested in different things. Like if you, I don't know, if you compare uh, Frog Fractions made in, made when I was, gosh, 33, Four thirty-three, something like that, to um, the Hat DLC, which I made eight years later mm -hmm. after after having a kid. That was a much different person, and so the kind of work that I was doing was much different. And it it just it just makes sense that like the work they were working on was flexible enough that they could take it in that direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think a lot of a lot of creators who work on things long term they feel locked in, like they have changed as people, but 
they're still stuck making the thing that they that made them famous 20 years ago. Yeah. Mm. Well, I think in this case, it was always like from the beginning, it was kind of a deconstruction. And even in that pilot, it's sort of like, you know, these adventure cartoon archetypes like it, you know ostensibly the 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 fail son is the father of the two protagonists you know hank and dean venture uh and and they're just you know these sort of wet behind the ears very naive cartoon characters but they're surrounded by a very adult world they just don't understand it and have trouble perceiving it adult and violent because yes. it, it is so much of it ends like the mythology of it is about organized supervillainy that they have a guild and it has rules and mm -hmm. they have agreements on who gets to kill who and what what level of villain you are and who who gets to be your arch nemesis and yeah. what kind of weaponry you have and how often you can destroy them. And even if you're trying to be a supervillain, you still have to live by a rigid code and hierarchy and or yeah. otherwise, there's you know, paperwork. there's stronger people who will come down on your head. David Bowie shows up and mm -hmm. yells at you. Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> terrible deal. I'm not joking. He doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> David but, Bowie's in charge. But yeah. I guess, you know, just pitch this, this topic in part because wanted to talk about Venture Brothers, but also want to encourage more people to watch it, especially if you've thought about it, but you know, you've never gotten into it because yeah, the movie is coming up, which may or may not wrap everything up and put a, put a neat little bow on its mythology. So, uh, yeah. Yep. And it's all finally streaming in one place. Yeah, was, it was true. broken up for a while, but yeah, the movie is coming because they're part of the HBO acquisition and they were hoping there was going to be another season and instead they gave them a movie to wrap it up. So we'll see. They might still get another season. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe the movie will be, like, incredibly successful. In which case, we can claim that this was part of that. <laughs> Encouraging <laughs> right. more yeah. people to discover it. Thanks to us. Mm -hmm. Yay. Hooray for us. <laughs> Yay. It sounds very good. Yeah. I recommend it. Yep. If that wasn't clear. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, you, you did say that the the villain is named the monarch, and you didn't explain. No, like the butterfly. Yeah. Well, no, he he's he has he has a bizarre idea of what a monarch butterfly is. Keeps talking about that. Feel the deadly sting of the monarch, much like the monarch paralyzes its prey with poison. He, but he was also like raised by monarch butterflies and. Begins the series trying to find his parents that raised him, not realizing that, like, no, they they died after nine months. You, you're not going to find them. <laughs> yeah, I could I could see. I, I bet it wouldn't take much to convince yeah. my wife to rewatch it together. Yeah. Oh, I will say a little bit of a content warning on it. Like this, this did start in the early 2000s. So there's like a lot of things, a lot of language that gets tossed around that is like considered medium level slurs now. Uh, there's a bit of transphobia because you've got Dr. Girlfriend who sounds like this, uh, okay, who's, who's like sure. one of the most competent characters in the series. Yeah. Uh, and you, but you get used to that voice after a while. It doesn't yeah. take long. Yeah. I mean, I, I know, I know trans people who sound like that. Mm. <laughs> so, well, she, she's not, but people keep questioning, yeah. but yeah. I wish I sounded like that. Yeah. I'll smoke more. <laughs> <laughs> You need one of those, uh, I don't know what you call it, one of the things that you put up against your throat and it vibrates. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those things, that, yeah. People with uh, laryn larynectomies? What's the surgery I, called? I don't know. Yeah. I forget. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. The Val Kilmer box. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's mean. Does he have one of those now? I, don't, I think he does. Okay. Yeah. I know he has trouble talking. Hmm. I don't know. Would, it, would that be appropriation for me to use one? 
<laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, you know, we all had, at least I had like a, a, I think a Transformers voice changer when I was a kid that had roughly the same effect. It was yeah. just like a little straw. You'd put it in your mouth and it'd sound like, like, <laughs> like you were talking through a didgeridoo or something. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to sing duets with myself. Hmm. Huh. I guess it, interesting. it can only do the one pitch, but then you could do like the, um, the pedal tone thing, like a bagpipe. <laughs> gonna go on etsy i gotta yeah. find out what those are called and go on etsy looking for artisanal ones yeah. <laughs> just learn learn tuvan throat singing so you can do two oh, two tones at the same time all yeah. right that's the right answer yeah <laughs> but i want the that's easy extreme answer. answer yeah fair enough are we ready for another topic yeah yeah so my topic is the origin of dungeons Ooh, interesting if you look up the word dungeon in the dictionary dungeon means like underground prison mm-hmm but the way it's used, like in the vast majority of uses that I encounter in life, it's referring to like a monster city, like mm. a place that adventurers can go and like kill monsters and find loot, uh, as, you, as you see in Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, and I yeah. was in most fantasy. Right. I was trying to look into like, what are the origins of this term, this, this particular variation of the concept of dungeon. And I, I think... It goes back to, um, there's a board game called Dungeon, mm -hmm. which was published after Dungeons and Dragons, but it was prototyped bef before, and Gary Gygax played the prototype. Uh, it was called The Dungeons of Pashakata, and it was set in, uh, in the setting that was both an underground prison and also a monster town. And I think that's where Gary Gygax got the idea that this is what a dungeon is. And hmm. named the, his game Dungeons and Dragons after this idea. Well, that could be. Hmm. Yeah, I've always wondered about that because, like, yeah, it would. When whenever I, you know, play through a dungeon in Diablo or in, you know, Elden Ring, whatever, whatever fantasy game you want to talk about, uh, I always kind of wonder. It's like, who built this? For what purpose? Like, right. what what was this before it was a monster infested dungeon? Was this like the secret hideout? of a cult and then they abandoned it hundreds of years ago when the monsters moved in. Like, was this just an underground bunker or fortress? And you know, no, it's just people really like to dig holes and fill it with masonry and, and let monsters move in. Yeah. Hmm. When I was, when I was talking about this on Mastodon, one person who replied was saying that, uh, they always interpreted it as like, yeah, we, we, we put the monsters down there to imprison them. Hmm. So it's a dungeon for the monsters. Right. But then and, and then maybe they got out of control, so you have to go in and kill them. Mm -hmm. That's a very, very progressive approach, actually. Like, we're going to contain the monsters. We're not going to kill the monsters. Right. It's very important they be preserved so future generations know what a monster looks like. Yeah. But that would also, like, explain why... Unlike a town, you just go down there, there's a bunch of dudes hanging out to kill. Mm -hmm. Like they're they're ready for a fight. They're not doing town stuff. No. Like they're not they're not eating, they're not growing food. Like they're just waiting to fight somebody. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I never really thought about that. That yeah, dungeon is just an underground prison, but then in, you know, fantasy adventure, video games, whatever, it's kind of more more of a labyrinth full of guys, but also yeah. there's rooms. It's not like a maze. Hmm. There's rooms and stuff, but it's still just kind of a labyrinth full yeah. of random dudes who are ready to kill you. And maybe that's where it originates, the labyrinth, the, the Minotaur and Theseus. Hmm. Like, was that the first idea of a dungeon? Yeah. Where they be. would throw captives so the Minotaur would eat them. Uh -huh. hmm. Yeah, that's true. That is a that is also both a prison and like 
I don't know, not exactly a town, but it's a, a space that you can explore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fill it with a few wonders, you got yourself a dungeon. That's right. Get mm-hmm. some get some gold pieces. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Leave some chests around. You need to lose a lot of boxes and chests. Yep. Just list off, you know. Keep all your valuables down there. Let the monsters guard them. Yeah, it's fun to think about, like, well, what was this room? You go in there, there's, you know, a table, uh, a chest with some healing potion. It's like, well, what? What, what is this? Is this like the break room or mm. <laughs> the nurse's office in this dungeon? Hmm. Well, also like, um, you know, I just we just did a show about Indiana Jones games and uh, we were talking about Indiana Jones and the Emperor's Tomb, which is a game that turns 20 this year. And that's based on the, the tomb of the, the Qin Emperor, the first emperor of China. And according to legend, I didn't realize like I knew about like, oh, we excavated it sometime in the 90s and found all the terracotta soldiers, that big army of statues. Uh, according to legend, like there are parts of the temple complex that are like filled with booby traps, like arrows and crossbows ready to fire, poison gas, all this stuff. Nobody knows if that's true because we've only excavated a tiny part of it. But uh, it, it, it could be there. It could be the inspiration for stuff like that. Or one of the inspirations, who knows? Yeah. That that idea of like an underground vault filled with treasure and booby traps is is a lot older and maybe more factual than we think. Hmm. I'm looking at screenshots of Indiana Jones and the Emperor's Tomb. It looks like a it's looks it looks like a Tomb Raider. Kinda, yeah. It's uh, uh all the three D Indiana Jones games got kinda Tomb Raidery. That one was by the the Collective, which also made the Buffy the Vampire Slayer game and both had Similarly great fighting systems. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Dungeons. <laughs> I think under um, the modern nerd definition and like an Egyptian pyramid would definitely count as a dungeon. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Even though it's just, I guess it's a mausoleum or whatever mm. you would call that, like a memorial of some kind. But yeah, I remember um, finding in an encyclopedia, I think, uh, like a diagram of the layout of a pyramid and it was extremely simple, but like, I was, I was just like obsessing with like this shape as like, this is like a real world. This just like Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you could explore this space and get caught in the traps and yeah. yeah. Put all these treasures in here, but like, Oh no, there is a pitfall that if you step on the wrong tile, it'll send you tumbling down this. Why didn't they make the whole thing a trap? Like who else is coming in here? Nobody's supposed to be in here, like unless you're <laughs> well, you're really expecting Tutankhamun to get up and walk around. Well, they wanna they wanna only give the treasure to the people who are truly worthy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the people who are the best at gym class and <laughs> <laughs> can solve logic puzzles. And know that Jehovah starts with an I in mm-hmm. Latin, right? Because yeah. there is no J. Mm-hmm. Because there wasn't a J in English until like a hundred, not like two hundred years ago. Huh. J is really recent. I yeah. and J were just interchangeable. Hmm. Yeah, and we used F instead of S. Yeah. yeah. Congrefs. Congrefs. <laughs> <laughs> this is a whole other topic. Letters we used to have. Which one's the thorn? Thorn is a TH. Um, and that's actually where we get yield because it's oh, it yes. sort of yeah. was it kind of transformed into lo- a Y. It kind of looks like a Y, yeah. yeah. I always liked the um the A E. Uh, lithograph. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. For fancy that, that times. One, that one's classic. Or the, uh, I don't know what it's called, that that German letter that looks like a big B, but is actually a double S. 
Oh, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember when I was when I was visiting Berlin, seeing that on street signs all the time. Yeah, and and being very, I don't know, I I I say annoyed, but I wasn't actually annoyed. I was just like, I have to have a reaction now. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh right, they actually use that crap. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yep. it's not just make them up. Wow. So the umlauts uh, alter the the uh, pronunciation, <laughs> and they don't just look cool on the front of a metal album. <laughs> right, right. Muttly cra. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was shocked when I started taking French class and finding out. Wait, accents matter, mm. really? Yeah, actually, for realsies, it's been a problem, mm. ongoing. Yep. The the enya is a different letter than the n. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Never say feliz ano nuevo. <laughs> I'm going to say that all the time now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. there you go. La fiesta de quince años. <laughs> <laughs> Love it, love it. <laughs> uh, uh, that's all. The, that's all the time we have for topic lords. Well, thank you for inviting us. Spanish, awesome. Yeah, Michael, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, once again, I have a podcast called Vidya Game Apocalypse. You can find us wherever podcasts are sold, which is nowhere. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm uh, Wikiparas. That's W I K I P A R A Z. And Diana, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, they can find me every week on 302010. It's um podcast to do every single week. Coming up, I know this goes out a bit after we recorded it, so if we're getting it'll towards- be, It'll be like in a month, probably. Okay. Oh, perfect. Then we will be hitting the 30th anniversary of The Fugitive, talking about some good stuff as we head into the fall and we start getting to like the fancy movies, but- the summer, nice. it's been an amazing summer. Jurassic Park, Pirates of the Caribbean, the first one. It's been nuts. And they can also follow me on Twitter if they want at ListenAnerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D. Right, thanks so much for being on. Oh, thank you for yeah, inviting us. Thanks for having us. This is fun. Yeah. I can talk about random stuff. <laughs> Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com, and you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!